0: Uh, but just so you know, this is really important, that this isn't a six-week sermon series and you have one Sunday to turn in a commitment card. That's not how this works. This is just to get started. Just This is saying, as God is moving through your hearts, this is a starting point. Uh, but this is who we are. This is the DNA of who we are, is how can we truly make an impact in our community and to our neighbors. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's pray and then get started this morning. Heavenly Father, we're here this morning Because we've surrendered to you. And we know that you're calling to all of us. The Great Commission is all about our willingness to take risk and our willingness to get out of our comfort zone and our willingness to truly love our neighbors. And Lord, sometimes that is the kid right across the street and sometimes it's the kid halfway around the world. So thank you for loving us so much that you died for us and you gave us the perfect example of unconditional love. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I'd like you to go ahead and take your scriptures and uh, turn over to Acts chapter 2. So, you know, you've got the Gospels. And then right after that is the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to get to Acts chapter 2 in just a moment. In Matthew 22, it's interesting. We're going to go all the way back. Uh, a very cold, snowy Sunday in January, six weeks ago, when we began this sermon series, uh, this was a, an important verse. So I would like all of us to read it together. This is Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. So it's going to come up here, and let's read it together. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself love your neighbor as yourself. A few years ago, Brad Pontius was teaching a class, and the book was called God Space by Doug Pollock. It's a little book, so it's a great book for men. You can read it real quick, but in that book, it is powerful because it teaches us how to have spiritual conversations, conversations that are not over the top, uh, memorized sales pitch conversations. Have you ever watched A Christian aggressively talk to someone and use almost a sales pitch of approach. Anybody ever seen that? It's almost painful. Uh, I was actually taught those approaches when I was in Bible college. So you'd approach, say, a stranger sitting on the bus, and you'd ask him something like, How's the weather? And then you would follow up with, If you died tonight, if you died tonight, why should God allow you into heaven? And really, he's just at the weather stage. You know what I'm saying? Really uncomfortable. And 99.9% of your conversations are not that set up. Now, there may be a time when honestly you're with someone and it gets to a point where that might be the question you ask. Say, seriously, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to go? That's a legitimate question. I don't think it's a good crowdbreaker. I don't think it's a thing you start with. And so, what this book does is it teaches us spiritual conversations with those that we're around all the time, which are honestly our neighbors. And I remember as Brad taught this, he he had this exercise. He gave us all a piece of paper and he said, now, since we're supposed to love our neighbors, I want you to think about the four sides of your house, north, south, east, and west, and go ahead and write down the names of all your neighbors. And I left the class. I thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever, because you know what? I still don't know all my neighbors that live on each side of me. Now he'd say, well, you probably haven't lived there long. Yeah, we're on the 11th year. Now, I bet I'm not alone. This morning, if I had you take out a piece of paper and just start with, who are my neighbors? Do I even know my neighbors by name? And that's where it starts. You know, sometimes we're driving in and out. I'll pick on myself. And we're going to Bible studies all the time to learn how to talk to our neighbors. And yet we don't even know our neighbors. So let's just start. That is your challenge. Go home and think, Do I even really know my neighbors? Because Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And then what? Get your heart right and then love your neighbors. So all week as I was preparing for this message, there was a phrase that just kept coming to my mind. I don't know if it's because the Daytona 500 is around the corner, but it's the phrase. And I love this phrase, firing on all cylinders. How many of you have ever heard that phrase? Raise your hand. Firing on all cylinders. Here's what it means. Operating at maximum speed and efficiency. Operating at maximum speed and efficiency. Firing on all cylinders. Now, how does that apply to all of you in this room? How does that apply to me? Well, let's say you're a student. It's when you have crammed for a test. And I mean you have lost sleep and you've stressed over it and you, you have that test right in front of you. You scan it and about 10 minutes in, you know you own that test. You are firing on all cylinders. It's when you walk in for a job interview, and about 20 minutes in, you're like, this is my job. It's when you're firing on all cylinders. It's when you have that endless to-do list. Maybe this week you had one of those days, and about halfway through the day, you're like, you know what? I'm getting everything done, and I'm in a rhythm, and I'm firing on all cylinders. Or maybe you're working out. And maybe you're uh, on the treadmill, and you set it for an hour and a half hour in, the sweat's just all over you, but you're like, I have not even hit my stride yet. You're firing on all cylinders. You never forget those days when you're firing on all cylinders. You know why? Because they don't come along often. Isn't that true? Because just about the time you're firing on all cylinders, you get a flat tire. Something in life just undercuts you. So here's my question this morning about being fully alive. And the question is simply this. How do we know when a church is firing on all cylinders? What does a church look like when it's firing on all cylinders? Well, really, it looks like what Jesus just described here. It's you're loving him with all your heart, and you're actually loving your neighbor. And there's a great example of a church That began firing on all cylinders, and it's found in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. So let's start with verse 37. It says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? Some of your translations, it actually says, what shall we do to what? Be saved. Now, let's back up, because in the Christian church, I've grown up my whole life in the Christian church, We're really good at verse 38. Repent and be baptized. If you've grown up in a Christian church, you've probably heard about a thousand sermons on verse 38. The problem is we skip over 37. You notice what happened? Their hearts were cut. Peter preached this amazing message. And he's saying, listen, here's what you've done to Jesus Christ. And finally, he gets to the point of saying, you desperately need Jesus Christ. You may have killed Jesus Christ, but you desperately need Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? Their hearts were cut. Now, here's what that word means, the original Greek. It means to pierce, to sting, to stun, to smite. It's the idea of sudden and acute grief. Now, that's pretty intense, but that's exactly where repentance starts. It's when you allow God to truly shape your heart. I love this quote by Charles Coulson. Repentance is a change of heart and a change of action, but it is not a change of address. Think of the times in your life that you're not right with God, and you just think to yourself, I know I've got this grievance with a friend. I know I need to seek forgiveness, or I know I need to get this relationship straight, but instead of getting the relationship right, you know what we do? We just get another friend. Or we think, I hate what I'm working. I hate what I'm doing. I don't like the people. So you know what? The answer is, I'll just get another job. Or I don't like this town. I'll just move. As if when we move, we take all the problems and we eliminate all the problems, and we all know it doesn't work that way. Repentance is simply saying, God, I surrender everything to you. I don't look around at what everybody else's problem is. I'm face-to-face, God, this is my problem. All right, there's a, a remarkable text in Luke 13, and people are questioning Jesus. And they're questioning Jesus about the Galileans. And they say, you know, Jesus, the Galileans and Pilate, uh, they are abusing sacrifice. They're abusing the offerings. And we just think they are just the most outrageous sinners. And I love what Jesus says, basically, is this. Are they really worse than you? I think if Jesus were here today, I think he'd do the same thing with us. When we start whining about everybody else's problems, and we don't use the word sin other than church, but if we're honest, other people's sins, isn't it a lot easier? Like, do you ever get upset with your kids? I mean, really upset with your kids, and then you realize they're acting just like you? Is that right? Am I the only one? Like, they'll say something, and they'll roll their eyes, they'll do something like, Where did you get that? Oh, yeah, you got that from Marie. You know, I I see that in my kids. I guarantee you see it in your kids. And you know what? Jesus saw the same thing. He's like, you know what? Here's the problem. It's a lot easier to look at everybody else. Repentance is saying, God, clean my heart out. Personally, clean my heart out. It's total surrender. I challenge you this week. Once you get to know your neighbor's name, here's another challenge. I was listening to a a commencement speech by Denzel Washington at Dillard University last year. Go on YouTube and check it out. It's about 15 minutes, and it is really inspirational. But Denzel Washington, here's how he left the graduates. Now, if you've ever been to these commencements, all speakers basically say the same thing, you know. Dream big, live big, you know, yaddy, you know. And if you're like me, I'm going through the names, like, how long is it going to get through there? you know? And here's what he challenged him, and here's how he concluded his commencement speech. He says, whatever you do in the morning, whatever your morning ritual is, Denzel Washington said this, maybe you put on a pair of socks, maybe it's a pair of slippers, but intentionally, I want you to put those under your bed. So that every morning when you get up, you start out on your knees, and when you're on your knees, you thank God, you've got another day. Every day, you thank God. He just gave you another day. Now, what if you added to that, God, I want to start today with my heart right with you. Every day, ask, am I right with God? Is my heart right with God? Now, here's what's unbelievable. Once their hearts were cut, and once they began to get right with God, God gave them an amazing gift. What did he give them? They surrendered to God, and they were baptized, and then God gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about what the position and the power of the Holy Spirit is in everybody's life here today that is surrendered to Jesus Christ? That Holy Spirit, fueled by God's word and prayer, will lead you beyond yourself. Even when you're struggling, it will lead you to your neighbors. It will lead you to other people and what they're hurting, and what they're going through, that's what God's Spirit does. And that's what I absolutely love about God's Spirit. We all know the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and it simply tells us that we are to make disciples. Go into all the world. Now, at that point, when he shared that with his disciples and his followers, that was a theory. They're like, Jesus, that's a great bumper sticker. Go into all the world. I'll go anywhere. You know, they're all like, I'll go anywhere. Well, the average human in that day, you know how far they journeyed in their life? About 30 miles. Can you imagine if your entire world was a 30-mile radius from the Amvet building? If going to Bedford was a big deal? I mean, seriously, can you imagine if your whole life was a 30-mile radius? So when Jesus said, go into all the world, they're like, okay. They didn't realize that when you get to Acts 1.8, And Jesus now is with his followers. And you listen to the power of these words. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't even know what that is yet. And when it comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now they're beginning to get it. This isn't a theory anymore. He actually wants us to go to our neighbors and to the next town and to the next country. And everybody needs to know about the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what God's Spirit does. And what's amazing, when you get down to verses 40 and 41, did you see what happened? Those who accepted this message, they were baptized, and 3,000 were added to the number. 3,000 people on that day said, I'm all in. I will give my heart. I am willing to die for this. And then you know what the Spirit did? And I love this. Immediately, the Spirit started to move them into communities. Because living out your faith is never meant to be done alone. I guarantee some of you, that's what your struggle's been. When you think about church, it's hard. Because sometimes we think, I would rather live out my faith by myself. I've heard people, especially men, they'll say this, I don't need the church. I sense God out in the middle of the lake. That's when I really feel God. That's great for you, but maybe God has something more for you to do than just sit in the middle of a lake. Maybe he actually wants you to help somebody else. That's what the church is all about. And God calls us out from the very beginning to build community. And it's an amazing place. When the church is firing on all cylinders, it's about that community. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I know happens in our lives is we go through fads and trends. And sometimes people think the church is a trend or fad, and it's not. Let me give you an example of what I mean by fads. I was thinking about hair. I don't know why, the other day I was thinking about hair. And the things that I've witnessed are pretty scary in my lifetime. I grew up, I was born in 1960, so I remember, especially with my sister-in-laws, do you remember the 60s when the men started, remember the hair in the 60s for guys? It went really from crew cut to I'm not even sure what it was. It was just wild and crazy. And I just remembered I wanted more than anything else to have really long, flowing hair. And my brother was a barber, and it never happened. You know, it'd get about above my... And I remember the victory when I finally got it over my ears, and I got it down. And I remember just that, where I could look like... uh, (laughs) Any guys remember that? And you just flip it back, you know. And I remember a neighbor one time, I was, in the, I was in the yard, and the neighbor yelled out instead of John, hey, Joni, good catch. I don't care. You know, that was the 60s. And then came the 70s. Guys, remember that? You'd part your hair down the middle, and guys would actually feather their hair. Remember that? And then came the birth of the hairdryer. Remember that? Oh, that was scary. And then came the 80s. Oh. And I'll be the first one to admit I had a perm in the '80s. OK, don't look down on me, OK? Um, you know, business in the front, potty in the back. You know that was a great that was a great look. Then the '90s, it was all about product. Moose, gel. grease, oil. You didn't care. you threw it on your hair. Even do you remember that little phase where guys were getting like the blonde little tips on their hair? Do you remember that? What was that all about, you know? We know what fads are, and now, from 2000 on, it's anything goes. There, there is no, like, oh, there's a fad. The fad is weird. It's just like, it's just the way it is. Now, women, honestly, uh, you're worse. Okay, so you remember, <laughs> do you remember the 60s? Do you remember the beehive? I mean, like Marge Simpson. I mean, it was that big thing on their hair. And then same thing I remember in the 70s and the Farrah Fawcett. Do you remember that look? Wow. And then the 80s, just one word, big. I mean, big bangs, big. And you go back and look at your 80s pictures. Uh, The church directory pictures, those are scary. Okay, if you go back, and then the 90s, remember the Rachel look. And then now, again, it's anything goes. Hair changes. There's so many fads that change. But here's one thing that never changes, what the church is all about. And when the church is hitting on all cylinders, starting in verse 42, here's what the church looks like. They're absolutely committed to what? The apostles' teaching. What does that mean? That means they're committed to talking about Jesus Christ. They were with Jesus. And that's what we do every Sunday. At the end of the day, every church, if you go to a church consistently over a period of time and you don't hear about Jesus, you're at the wrong church because it's all about Jesus. It's following in the footsteps of Jesus. And why did they lift up the apostles' teaching anyway? Why? They had been with Jesus. They could actually say, what was it like to be with Jesus, to walk like Jesus? Fellowship. Every time they got together, that word koinos in Greek means partnership. They shared life. That's why I actually love the term life groups. It's not about just coming together for a Bible study. It's actually sharing your life and then breaking a bread. Now, it's interesting, that's twofold. When they broke bread, they actually ate together. And that's a big deal. You know that a real true friendship eventually, how it gets deeper is you have meals together. Isn't that true? You break bread together and it's a big deal. But they then broke bread in honor of what Christ had done. And that's why we break bread. And they prayed. It was the ignition switch for a Holy Spirit. And then because of all of those non-negotiables, there was unity. Together, everything in common. They had a new name. Now they were disciples. They were Christians. They were followers of Jesus Christ. That's what they had in common. And you know what happened? Look at verse 43. Everyone was filled with what? Oh, why? Because everyone started watching these communities and they said, that is the strangest community of people I've ever seen. You know why? It's all about giving and it's not about taking. It's not about regulations. It's about how they can serve one another and they actually share their possessions. They share everything. Why would they do that? And then they began to see the Christians in the early church sharing with people who were not Christians. And they they couldn't believe. How can you possibly share and help somebody who doesn't even believe what you believe? How can you be motivated by love and not motivated by revenge? And it changed the world. And you know what? It still changes the world. When the church is sitting on all cylinders, I truly believe, I agree with Bill Hybels wholeheartedly, the local church is the hope of the world. I believe that with all my heart. When the church is hitting on all cylinders and firing up, a community will be changed. Andy Stanley, a while ago, uh, preached a sermon, and somebody sent me some of the notes. I just want to read just a little bit because it, it inspired me, and I hope it touches your heart. He said this, What breaks your heart? When you look around your neighborhood, your city, your community, your country, families, children, do you ask, why doesn't someone do something about it? What can I do? There's a Latin saying, what man is a man who does not make the world a better place? And the people you admire most are those who've made a difference with their lives Everyone has the potential to change somebody's world. And some of you have the potential to change a slice of the world. Find others who share your heart. Join with them in this grand adventure to change the world. We're on this amazing adventure. But as a church, we always have to be thinking about what does God want us to do? Are we willing to let God break our hearts and then reach out to those who desperately need him? Because that's where it all begins. Are you right with God? Is your heart right with God? And then when it's right with God, you'll do amazing things through the love of Christ. I heard a a description of the church that I I love. It's from a book called Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer. And he said there's a lot of metaphors for the church, but he said, I want to share with you three ships, and I want to share them with you this morning what the church is not, and then ultimately what the church is. First of all, the church is not a cruise ship. I want you to think about a cruise. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? Anyone? Oh, good. Most amazing food. You come back. They do, they do fancy things with your towels. And it's just, it's an amazing experience. I mean, I'd be the first one to say, I, I loved it. We went with our kids, and what a neat experience. But it's sad because I do think there are a lot of people, that's exactly how they treat church. It's a consumer mindset. What have you got for me? And they get the bulletin out, and they want to see what program fits my schedule. What is the church going to do for me? What a sad place to start. It isn't about what the church can do for you. It's seriously, what are you going to do to help your neighbor? And you know how dangerous it is when you get really, really comfortable in a church? That's not where God wants us to be. Now, I'm going to pick on some of you because I'm the same way. This is one way you know you get comfortable and that we don't like change. How many of you right now are sitting where you normally sit every week? Anyone? Yeah, we're wired that way, aren't we? Uh, The church in Illinois I was at years ago, uh, our first service, we made everybody literally move a minimum of three pews. It was my last Sunday of the year, but it was a great Sunday. (laughs) But in all honesty, I want you to think about how hard it is to change change. And here's one thing that's hard to change. It's hard to change what's in it for me. It's not about what's in it for you. It's about what you can do for others. And sometimes the church, it feels like a battleship. You know it's a battleship when all the church does is focus on everything that's wrong and all the other churches that are wrong. i got to be honest, over the years, some of the hardest meetings I've ever had are with people who've had terrible experiences with churches. And part of the story usually goes, the church I used to go to when I was a kid, all they talked about is why everybody else was wrong. And I couldn't wait to get out of there. And as soon as I could check out, I checked out. And the church feels like a battleship. Every Sunday is about, look who's wrong. Look how bad you are. Now, go love Jesus, okay? God never intended us for to be a battleship. But here's what I love, is I believe God intended for us to be an aircraft carrier. Equip planes to carry battle elsewhere. Don't you love that picture? That we equip one another and we equip each other and encourage one another until finally somebody says, man, I'm going to step out on a limb here. I'm going to take a risk like I've never taken a risk before. I'm going to adopt children from another nation. I'm going to take in foster kids. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to do something I've never done before. And the church does everything in its power to join together and say, how can we help you make that happen? Because God is sending you out. And let me tell you, that's hard. I can tell you, being a part of Sherwood Oaks for 20 years, one of the hardest things is we have so many people that move in and out of Bloomington. And I can tell you, Marina, we've had some incredible friends and we've invested in them. And Doggone it, if they don't fall in love with Jesus and they're like, we just feel God moving us in another direction, another town, or sometimes another country. And it just breaks your heart because you don't want to see them leave, but you know they're being sent out. The church is always about sending out and we cherish and we celebrate those who are willing to step out. And when you do it that way, you can't believe what God can do. You can't believe what God can piece together in ways that we can't even imagine. I wanted to close with um, an amazing thing that, that uh, my daughter Rachel uh, shared with me this week, and uh, it, it involves actually a really neat couple that was a part of Sherwood Oaks about five years ago. Maybe some of you remember uh, Tessa and Corey Ashton. Maybe some of you remember them. Okay, uh, Corey worked in our media department. Uh, Tessa had this remarkable voice and was on the worship team and was an education major here at IU, and they went out to California and uh, uh, started working. uh, uh, Corey was working at this large church, Christian church out in California. Tessa is a teacher in a kindergarten uh, for uh, really underprivileged kids out there, okay? So this happened in December. So the minister's preaching uh, a couple weeks before Christmas on sacrifice, and there was a guy named Marty Burbank, and he was daydreaming. He was very honest. He says, I was daydreaming because we had started saving money and we were getting ready to, to go buy our dream boat. And honestly, I wasn't listening to the sermon because all I could visualize was this dream boat. And then that stinking minister talked about sacrifice. And then all of a sudden, God's spirit got a hold of him. And he said, I just tried to blow it off. Ah, it's Christmas. You know, I'm just feeling mushy because it's Christmas. And he was a lawyer and he couldn't stop thinking about it. And then he got out a piece of paper, and he was like, well, here's what that boat would cost. And over the next 10 or 12 years, here's how much money I'm going to invest to take care of that boat and to do all the things that I want to do with that boat. And he went to his wife, and he said, I don't think we need to buy that boat. He said, matter of fact, I want to do something else with the money. And she said, well, you know, we... We have a lot of memories on boats. I mean, you actually asked me to marry you on this boat. I mean, do you really want to give that dream up? He says, I really do. And you'll never guess what he did. He got out another piece of paper, and he started putting some figures down. You see, they worked at the Rio Vista Elementary School, a bunch of kindergarten kids. He thought, what if I could give every kid, 26 kids, a full-ride college scholarship? two years community college, two years at a state school. I wonder if I could change their life. And so he went to the school, and he presented that school with a check for $1,182,000. Now imagine when you tell 26 kindergarten kids, you just got a full ride scholarship. And they're like, really? When can I have graham crackers? I mean, they, they don't get it. You know, one little girl's like, yay. You know, I don't have a clue. What do you think the parents are feeling right now? Interestingly enough, the teacher is Tessa Ashton. I think back, I have no idea whether Oaks had anything to do with Tessa's relationship with God or Tessa's heart. But I know this. I know when she left here, she was going to make a difference. And who would have ever dreamed that one day a guy was going to walk in with a million-dollar check and say, every one of your kids... They now have a future that they never dreamed of before. So the newspapers got a hold of it. Of course, their first stupid question, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to say stupid. First really ridiculous question is, what about the boat? And he said, I'll rent a boat. I could care less about the boat. Today, we've issued a challenge. It's a card in every one of your hands. But here's the thing. I don't want to guilt you into serving. That's not what we're here to do. We're simply here to say, are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to let God get a hold of your heart? And are you willing to actually do something about it and help your neighbor? And then pray about it. God, here's my neighbor. And I'm going to step up and I'm going to do something about it. And we're going to have a basket here and a basket in the back. So at the end of the service, you can put your cards in there. But this isn't the end. This isn't like a six-week, now or never, opportunity. We want you to continue praying that God will move you towards actually serving and helping your neighbor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that you're working on hearts this morning. I know that um, you've called all of us to love you with all of our hearts, and it's hard. And I know there are some here this morning that they're so broken to think about actually pouring and investing in our community just seems impossible. So Lord, I just pray that you'll wrap your arms around those folks. Lord, I know some people here are extremely nervous, uh, feeling like they're not qualified. So Lord, I just pray that you'll help them uh, to lean on you for confidence and to remove all fear. But Lord, be with all of us and help us to realize that loving our neighbors is not a suggestion. It really is a command. And help us to move forward in all that we say. And all that we do. And it's in Jesus' most holy name that I pray. Amen.